It's episode 99 of The Cool Room. We've almost cracked the triple figures. Uh, you can rest assured we've got some shenanigans coming up to celebrate that. Even more exciting than Free Cheese Sunday, which is one of the worst conceived ideas that I've ever had. Uh, but hopefully everyone out there in listener and delivery land enjoyed their free cheese last Sunday. <laughs> Let's not say anything more about that incident than that. Uh, we've got a really fun night lined up with our friends from Exit. We've said a few times with some guests that we've had on recently that it's amazing that it's taken as long as it has to get Exit on the show. Because I think one of the very first live craft beer meet the brewers events that I did was back at the Flemken Bowls Club uh, with Exit one Sunday afternoon. And by golly, that was an afternoon that I wish I could remember better than I could honestly say that I do. Um, I'm not going to list all of the great events that we've got coming up. Please check up our Facebook uh, if you want to be part of those. We've got great international and Melbourne brewers uh, lined up for some fun events as we hopefully near the end of lockdown in various places around Australia. Uh, and check out our online shop at Shopify. Uh, we've got some really fun deals in there, uh, some pretty rare and fun beers coming up. Uh, I won't preview that anymore. Just keep an eye on the socials and you'll see those when they pop up. Um, my good friend Travis Bristos and my good friend Warren Wu are both here at the time that we start recording, which is an awesome portent for a great evening. How are you both, gentlemen? I'm very well. Yeah, good. Yeah, all yeah. right. Excellent. All right. Um, Travis, why don't you start to introduce our friends from Exit, and then we can start to drink our way through the three beers that we have lined up tonight, which should be part of the tasting packs that people have received. Uh, hopefully, they're all ready to go. And Travis, you can take us away from there. Uh, thank you, David. Um, tonight, we have the guys from Exit on. Uh, we've got Grum, Monica and Loz in the Zoom room with us. We're going to talk through three of the beers tonight, starting with the Milk Stout. Um, but before we get on to talking about the beer, guys, um, can you guys introduce each other for us? Um, this is a little bit of a game we like to play around here. It's a good way to, to check out that uh, you guys all know each other and then we get to know each other as well. Um, Grum, let's start with you. Why don't you introduce Monica? Monica can introduce Loz and Loz can introduce Grup. Sounds interesting. I'm keen, yeah, I'm keen to hear this. <laughs> yeah, all good. Uh, uh, who's Monica again? Yeah. Somebody... <laughs> the blonde one. <laughs> oh, excellent, excellent. Uh, Monica uh, came to work for us a couple of years ago and has taken on everything she... Uh, everything we needed her to do. So she's taken over the, uh, all the marketing, all the design stuff, all the new can designs um, were overseen by her. Um, she's the one who tries to keep me in line. Uh, <laughs> so, so, sorry, Monica, it's my fault, not yours. Um, and uh, yeah, it gives the, the brand some kind of direction as opposed to just rambling on and making beers. <clears throat> um, and yeah, just uh, is an integral part of our small team who, uh, organizes lots of uh, uh, 
on events, sales, yeah. a little bit of everything, I think, is probably the, the summary for it. Uh, amazing. Monica, uh, did he get it right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think so. Mostly. mostly. No, he's, yeah, he's right. I do wear a lot of hats, um, a lot of hats, which is fun. And, and being in a small business like this, that's what you've got to do. There's only four of us in exit. So, <clears throat> oh, my beer is coming. Thank you. That's amazing. Did you, you realise got... that, you know, keeping going on a straight and narrow was part <laughs> of the role? Look after... No, oh. yeah, it's funny because I thought he's already married, so I thought his wife could take care of that. But so I guess she takes care of the household duties and I have to take, take care of the, the brewery duties. Now, before we get you to introduce Loz, Monica, I think you might be the first guest we've had on the podcast that has their own waiter that brings them beer. That was amazing. <laughs> um, obviously, for those not in the Zoom room, you won't be able to see this, but Monica just got her beer delivered to her. Um, brilliant. Love it. And uh, pouring out the milk stout. Monica, over to you to introduce Laws. All right. So uh, we wouldn't be exit without Laws. Laws has been with the business uh, pretty much from the beginning, <clears throat> but that's by default too because she's actually Grum's cousin. Um, we like to keep things in the family. So she's truly committed to this brand um, because she really believes in it. And she um, has been the ass kicker before I arrived. Um, and she's the one that keeps us all very much. She's very much the heart and soul of Exit. I want to say that Grum is, but we all know that's probably not true. Um, so, yeah, Laws. uh she knows the brand inside and out. She knows the story. You know, she's good friends with not only Graham, but with Phrase. Um, and she's she's worn many, many hats for Exit. Um, but more recently, Laws is our sales guru. And so she's covering off all of our, she's kind of taken the sales role because we really felt we needed help in that area. Laws prior to that was, um, uh, doing more of operations side, but now she's gone out on the road and um, she is really helping build our profile out there and kind of um, remind people who exit are that might have forgotten over the last couple of years. Amazing. Yeah. Um, I'm really hoping that Loz's description of Grum mm. is as good as Monica's description of Loz. That's <laughs> that's talked up really well. Um. We're, we're almost ready to start moving on to talking about the beer. But before we do that, we've got to hand over to Loz to introduce her cousin. <laughs> Thank you. First of all, I think a lot of what mine just said, that was lies. Um, <laughs> far too kind. Um, oh, so Graham, where do you start? First of all, I mean, the poor dude, he's dealing with three women every day. So he does well. He does very well. He's, um, yeah, he's a co-founder of Exit. So he's, uh, he's the owner, the brewer. All these recipes are his. They're his babies. He is definitely not the most vocal member of the exit team. <laughs> but he's definitely all just heart and soul. Um, I don't really know what Graham does, to be honest. He's always just hanging around the brewery. Um, he orders stuff. He <laughs> makes stuff. <laughs> drinks a lot of stuff i don't know other than that really what he does do <laughs> no i, I he's, see he's great I boss see, laws i see um mickey has asked how could anyone be more vocal than phrase which oh, is true yes. which Very is true. true 
But while we're introducing the team members, so a lot of you that um, know Exit would know that it was started by Grum and Phrase back in 2014. More recently, this, I guess it's been in the last 18 months, Phrase has kind of stepped back from the business and has gone back into IT um, just to get more of a regular cadence back in his life, I think. So um, although he's still very much a part of Exit and who we are and, you know, one of the founders, he has stepped away from a day-to-day um he doesn't work in the business day to day anymore so yeah. that's just yeah so yes now he's x xit he is yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right sure <laughs> there's a, a little bit of a rebrand opportunity there just for you know for a, for a new silly name which we're all in favor of new silly names here so yeah <laughs> Um, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, but um, we definitely still consult phrase about quite a few things. You know, he still um, has his finger on the pulse. He still uh, works well in outgang a bit when it's open. Um, you know, and he he is still very much part of who we are. But yeah, we're letting him do his day job. We would we would normally start the recording of the podcast when introducing you guys to have a discussion about. Uh, uh, the brewery and sort of painting a picture, but we're gonna we're gonna get to that in a in a little bit. We're gonna talk about the milk stout now. Um, before we do, they were some of the best introductions we've ever had, I think. So good job by the trio there. Uh, it worked out brilliantly. Um, let's let's start talking about the milk stout. Everyone's no doubt opened it, and we can see a bunch of people already getting into it. Uh, which is great to see. Uh, let's tell our listeners out there what they should be tasting and smelling and the flavours of your milk stout for a start. Um, well, uh, it probably is a little bit cold. This one probably should have been bought out of the fridge a little earlier as well, but as it's the first beer, we didn't really get a chance for that. Um, so the milk stout is a, a sweet style stout. Um, the little bit of sweetness is added by lactose which is unfermentable which in 2014 when i first brewed this commercially was um rare and interesting um now it seems that half the beers going around have lactose in them for whatever reason um as a stout um you get a lot of uh coffee uh espresso coffee dark chocolate um a little bit of caramel in there um and the lactose also adds a smoothness uh there's lots of oats for body um, and it's just, yeah, trying to, trying to get as much flavour as I can out of a 5.2% beer that people can enjoy and get that really rich kind of finish um, without and with, with a level of balance um, that only works actually because of the lactose. Uh, the recipe behind this has far more dark malts, more roasted malts and dark chocolate malt uh, than any brewing manual will tell you is the right thing to do. Uh, but I guess rules don't apply to brewing anymore anyway. But um, that, that little bit of lactose just takes the edge off what would be quite an astringent malt bill. Uh, my analogy for that is if you have an espresso coffee and it's a little bit too bitter, you can add a tiny bit of sugar to it. makes it a bit smoother and easier to drink. In relation to the, the lactose, you, like you just referenced there, 2014, um, which you know would have been super rare back then. How, how do you find the fact that like you said, everything's got lactose in it now. Did you, do you kind of feel that they've stolen your idea and ran with it? And... <laughs> I invented lactose and cows. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it, not really. Um, yeah, it was the, the styles all moved on, and um, obviously uh, the neepers or hazies came into a, an effect, and then they've gone on to um, 
uh, milkshake IPAs and all kinds of stuff. Uh, like I'm, I find them often overly sweet. Um, yep. Often the often the flavour and aroma can be amazing what they can bring out. Um, but it's probably not something I can drink much of because I think they find uh, I find they, they become sickly quite quickly. Um, but yeah, it's uh, I guess that's um, something that brings attention to brewing uh, and brings people into the space who who may not go through a normal channel of going oh this is quite a nice pale ale uh, and I go oh no that's nothing I want to drink but then they have the, uh, a beer that tastes like a fruit tank or something like that and all of a sudden it piques their interest and hopefully brings them to try more craft beers and gets them um, onto the the craft beer bandwagon. My next question was going to be what makes a milk stout different to other stouts? Is is that answer for you purely the lactose side of things? Is that where you started? So you just automatically go, that's a milk stout? Uh, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that's how I define it. So the lactose is a milk sugar, the extract of milk, so it becomes a milk stout. Um, I guess by do, I haven't seen a definition other than that. Um, you, can, you can still have a sweet stout without lactose, uh, and it just comes down to the malt bill. Uh, but it won't be as sweet because lactose being unfermentable puts sugars in that um, wouldn't be there because the yeast would consume any sugars of that kind of level otherwise. Um, but yeah, as I said, yeah, I think, I don't know, I've never heard a different um, interpretation of what uh, a milk set is, but that's saying that there's um, most style of beers tend to have different aspects and views and so what one person calls a a West Coast IPA, someone else goes, no, no, that's too white or too dark or something. So, uh, yeah. Um, th- this has been part of your core range for for quite a while now. Um, when did you when, when did you first start to brew it, and uh, has the recipe changed over however many years? Uh, yes, all all the recipes change. Um, initially, often quite a bit, um, and then later on tiny, uh, much smaller, subtler changes. Uh, changes changes from now will be based on seasonal um, hops and malt differences um, or brewing equipment changes and things like that. But, um, yeah, the, the recipe's been constant on this for probably five years. Um, Graham, you do, was... sorry to interrupt, but you do have to change it when, like you just referenced the... Um the brewery changes so for example you know when we when we went from a 25 heck to a 50 heck brew house do you have to change the recipe you do just scale it up or does the recipe need to be tweaked uh yes so uh it usually needs to be tweaked yeah so um different systems and different fermenters every pretty much everything in brewing changes things a little bit so if you change one thing um it will you can change the smallest thing um and you can change the shape of your fermenter and the beer will come out slightly differently. Yeah. So, so Lars, or, or, that's what Grum does all day. He's tweaking <laughs> recipes based on the tank it's going into. I think, I'm, I think guys, we've got a new host. Like, Monica's awesome. Let's just... <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was just going to say I was kind of glad that the cool room got to the bottom of what Grom does all day. <laughs> <laughs> that's too I'm usually... I'm usually in the tank licking the walls to see how the beer is going to come out. <laughs> uh, but um, this, the, the beer was initially, like I was initially home brewing in the UK um, and then moved to Northern Ireland with my wife for a year. So one, she could catch up with her family uh, in between jobs for me, um, contract working in the UK and coming back to Australia to start the brewery. 
Um, so homebrewing in Ireland, um, stouts became a regular uh, recipe for all the neighbours and friends. And why don't you brew a stout? Go, okay, here we go. So yeah, I brewed several stouts in that year and was pretty much my crash course in, in brewing and, and finalising recipes. And um, as you, I think you said, how many versions of this stout have there been? And probably a dozen, I'd say. Yeah, nice. Um, from And usually, you, especially when you don't know what you're doing, your, fir- your first attempt is usually rubbish. Um, and then you go, this should have much more, you know, body, much more roastiness, much less something. Um, and so when you're, when you're new to brewing, you make up a recipe, you try it, it's not very good, then you adjust it and you go, okay, you get better. Um, and then you hone those recipes in. But I think once you've been brewing a long time and you can sort of pull from that experience, you can usually get a recipe close. Um, but still nearly always you'll brew a beer for the first time and think, well, okay, this one's come out a little bit, you know, I'd like a little bit more bitterness in this or something. And just, yeah, right. the next time I'll just add a little bit more hops. So just little fine tweaks. And what was the response with uh, the Irish on your home brewed stouts? Um, most of them, yeah, most of them really like them. Um, a lot of people are open to different beers, even back then in the good old days. Um, we had a couple of people who, but one particular guy was a Guinness only person. Um, and he, he tried a few pale ales, he tried saving he hated everything. Uh, I think he tried one stout and wasn't a big fan. Um, but then I made, I think it was a smoked stout, and he's come around and I've gone, well, What do you think of this? Uh, and he took a sip and he goes, this makes Guinness taste like dishwater. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right? And, uh, so he had, um, I think he had about eight of those. Um, and they were probably six and a half percent. And he was used to drinking Guinness. So he's getting uh, a lot more alcohol. So he uh, ended up um, saying, yeah, Guinness is pish. And then falling over and his wife had to carry him out. <laughs> um, Jacob in the Zoom room just asked, uh, how does age affect this milk stout? Um, he said that he had one last night that was a bit old and he got strong cocoa notes, um, which isn't a bad thing. But where do you sit on that, Grum? How does how does the age of a milk stout go? Uh, it actually it tends to improve for quite a long time. Uh, it's the, the whole uh, mantra that fresh is best in craft beer is really about hops. Uh, so hoppy beers tend to age badly. They oxidise. They can't. They, yeah. There's lots of issues with hops aging. Um, they can be too fresh and overly grassy. But as a general rule, uh, fresh is best is focused on the hop-driven beer. Uh, with malt-driven beers, uh, malt does tend to smooth out. Uh, it does age quite well. Uh, you can your flavours do change. Uh, it's interesting. Like things like peat, uh, peated beers can go through cycles of um, being really, really peaty. Then the peat dies off and then the peat can pick back up again. Um, I find that yeah, the roastiness um, can come through a bit stronger as the beer ages. Um, you'll lose a little, there is some hops in it obviously, so that'll drop off and then you'll have um, the more focused um, uh, malt flavours, which are your, your uh, espressos and, and chocolates. So yeah, they tend to age really well. Um, and again, the stronger the beer, uh, the longer it'll age for. Yeah, nice, um, yep. Just as a preservative. Um, we're we're going we're gonna to move on in a second and talk a bit more about Exit and how you guys came about. But uh, one last question in relation to this beer. Um, Mark in the Zoom room uh, wanted to know, in relation to your homebrew stouts, uh, did people try, keep trying to compare them against Guinness? 
people still do. That's right. That's what I was <laughs> going to ask. In fact, that's how I sort of interpreted Mark's question. But Travis, I think you were right. But it was like, do people sort of go, "Ah, oh, that's not Guinness," and how do you feel when you're getting that after <laughs> having made this beautiful beer now for eight years or more? Uh, well, yeah, you, you get used to it. Uh, we've had so many times people say, you know, uh, what kind of beer do you drink? Oh, all kinds of beer, draft and VB and Corona. And, uh, so, look, <clears throat> anyone, yeah, it's, it's always interesting to have people who don't drink craft beer try something and go, oh, I taste a bit like Guinness. And there, there are there's obviously um, one, people are very visual. So even um, just looking at it, people get that in their head and uh, by power of suggestion, they will believe what they believe anyway um and obviously there's the the roastiness that you get from guinness as well uh and a certain smoothness which is achieved differently uh, one with nitrogen in guinness and one with lactose in ours but yeah obviously yeah, similarities um but yeah as long as um as long as people enjoy it then i'm happy uh and i i do um use the milk set a lot because a lot of people just say we don't like sours um and it's like saying i don't like beer but i've only tried vb so, yeah um, I'll often, if I get the chance, I'll get them to taste it and very often get the surprised look, the raise of the eyebrows and go, oh, that's not bad. So, Yeah, very nice. Um, this is getting a lot smoother the more it's warming up, which is great. Um, it's uh, I'm, I'm just letting it sit there for a bit longer, which is brilliant. Uh, your core range of beers is, is somewhat iconic around Melbourne. Um, and as David just mentioned a second ago, you've, you've been brewing for about eight years. Um, how did how did the exit story come about? Um, how did you all meet, and uh, where did the exit name come from? Uh, so, when I started the brewery, uh, we uh, both worked in IT for a lot of years. Uh, we originally met. Well, I'll try and do this quickly. We originally met at City Power in Melbourne uh, at an IT job. Then we worked out through our parents that they knew each other, so we had met as kids. Um, and my parents used to play tennis and stuff together. So, uh, but anyway, then Fraze left City Power and went to the UK. Um, and then I ended up travelling and was in Ireland. Ended up going via the UK and ended up getting a job through Fraze at Centrica or British Gas. Um, and so, yeah, from there we started um, taking the tourism holidays. So we'd get up in the morning, jump on the Eurostar, go to Brussels, uh, drink beer all day and fill up a suitcase of beer and get a train back to London and go home. Um, so yeah, just through travels and, uh, then basically we we're both sick of IT and sat, sat there at coffee every day thinking, what else can we do? Um, and yeah, looked at hobbies and things of interest. So beer being a big one, um, we thought, well, if we learn to brew, we could open a brewery. So we did. <laughs> so. That's brilliant. Good. Yeah. That's a, that's a great story. You've come, uh, somewhat full circle, I guess. Um, where do you guys brew at the moment? Uh, so we brew in Downing Long South. Uh, we share the brew with Kaiju. Uh, we've been there for five years now. Yeah, getting on. So, yeah. Uh, Ka- Kaiju are good friends of, uh, of the core room. Um, we've had them on in the past. And uh, it well, feels like a, a long time ago that David brewed a beer with Kaiju for... Uh, for the pub, for the Metallica concert. Yeah, I remember that beer. Um, yeah, well, I was going to, I was, I was going to say that. I was going to ask Kelly to ask her question later on. But that day, you were at the Grum and I got to have a couple of absolutely fantastic uh, amber ales 
straight off the line as they were being canned. Um, they were fantastic. Um, Kelly's heard a rumour that the Amber might be taking a little siesta for a little while. Is that the case? Or is it just, just that there's uh, a, other things are in the tank at the moment? Uh, yeah, other thing. It's one seasonal uh, and two, we brought out the Red IPA, which is effectively the big brother of the Amber. Uh, and the other issue is it, it sells really well on tap, but people don't buy it off in can. Um, yeah, right. So we are look, we're looking at um, possibly tweaking it slightly and maybe renaming it to Red IPA or Session Red IPA. Um, because, yeah, people, when they drink it, they often love it, and it's my favourite style of beer. Um, but people just won't pick it up off the shelf. So, yeah, we're, we're trying to work out a way to do that because I'd be very upset if I couldn't brew my favourite beer for myself <laughs> to drink. Um, yeah, fair call. Cool. How have you found all the um the changes out in the brewery land? Because Kaiju is just a as a f- brewing facility has gone through some pretty big changes over the last well you know the story better than me but eighteen months two years. Is well, it- it's been a co- it's been a constant growth since Crush was released. It's been um, a massive growth story. Um, so yeah, the, the most of the upgrades have been to cater for the volume they require, not so much for us, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, we just uh, we just cruise along with it and. Um, Sort of, Nat and I have got a good relationship and uh, they fill up the tanks that they need. And if I say, oh, look, I need to work something in, they'll say, all right, we've got to we'll find this tank in, in uh, the next week or so and get a beer in. And um, yeah. Um, we're we're going to move on to the Red IPA next. And uh, Mr. Warren Wu is going to lead us on that. I'm still sitting on some of the stout, but I'm going to leave it sitting there for a little bit longer and see how. Uh, how it goes as it gets to, to room temperature. Um, crack open your red IPA. After this beer, we'll take a short break and then we will come back uh, and drink the Imperial. Mr. Wu, over to you. Thank you, Mr. Bristow. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, uh, red IPA, uh, this delicious, fun thing that we've got in front of us. Um. I thought we would be a good idea to start with kind of going through a bit of a tasting of the the red IPA and and giving us kind of a a, a little mini yeah mini tasting of it. So starting with with that great color and then working through to to uh, all the flavors we should be tasting. How's that sound, Rum? Yeah, we can do that. Whoa, it's yeah. For those who aren't in the in the Zoom room. To watch Grum pour it is pretty awesome. <laughs> I've done it before. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure once or twice. <laughs> yeah. Does so, look pretty good. Mm, yeah. So yeah, what should we uh, be tasting? What what should be coming through? What what do you want to want to say with this beer? Okay, so I guess um, the the thing that I love about the red IPA is the amazing level of balance you get uh, because IPAs tend to be extremely hoppy. They have quite a high bitterness. Um, and there's a lot of people who have become accustomed to that. Their palates are um, used to that. Uh, and they really enjoy that overly hoppy experience. Um, and as I referenced earlier, um, that the, the rules on brewing say you shouldn't do this, but most IPAs are completely unbalanced and overly um, bitter, but I still love them and so do most people. Um, the thing about a red IPA, it's almost impossible to make it taste too bitter because of the residual sweetness you get from the dark malts, you get the, um, the, the little, little caramel background, um, uh, the slightly um, slightly uh, 
fuller body. Um, and yeah, so no matter how bitter and hoppy you make it, they tend to be really well balanced. Um, the trick I find with um, a good red IPA, uh, if you put too many dark malts into it, they can become quite earthy. I find tracks from the, the fruity hop notes. Mm. Uh, so the balance is trying to get the colour just right to be as red as possible, um, nice and dark, give that really caramel um, flavour from the crystal malts, um, but then allow on top of that for the, the really um, citrusy and fruity pine um, flavours to come through with the beer as well. There's Speaking of those citri- cit- citrusy bright piney fruit flavors from the hops um there's five hops in this in this beer uh i can't remember what they're at i remember there was simcoe and what else was there david can you remember there was hold on simcoe oh bugger i don't know but five hops um what should we be tasting with these five hops like well should should we be Shall we be? Uh, did you have a message or something that you you wanted each one of those to contribute, or or was it was it kind of uh, it's an IPA? Let's just smash a shit ton of hops into it. Um, no, I think there is a message. Um, so hops can do lots of different things, and for a red IPA, uh, I was probably avoiding the danker hops, so uh, like the schnooks and the uh, the heavy um, soil hops. So uh, I think there's, um, yeah, there is Simcoe, a dry hop with Simcoe. And Citra. And there'll definitely be Citra. Uh, uh-huh. There might be there might be a little bit of... Um, Centennial, Amar- Mo- um, Amarillo, Citra, Simcoe, Nelson, Savine. Are you sure you don't want to be a host, Monica? <laughs> no, no, I reckon, I reckon we can see... Ex- Monica is like those um, little things you get when you go 10-pin bowling and you're a kid that makes sure the gutters, the, the ball doesn't go too far off the actual chosen track. It's a, Which is so something we need here. We, yeah, we definitely need that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's, yeah uh, different hops behave differently at different times in a boil as well. So, um, yeah, it is a, it's just about trying to uh, keep it light uh, and fruity and, uh, yeah, avoid the real dank kind of heavy flavor because i think with with a heavy malt already if you go heavy on that as well it just becomes overpowering so yeah i was just trying to get it light and fruity inside that uh, malt profile uh i thought i might change track a little bit we we like having discussions about branding and and uh appearance and i suppose Monica's probably a good a good one to throw <laughs> this question at. Although, although Grum, you probably it'd be it'd be interesting to hear your your take on it as well. Um, so this is so yeah, talk us through the three phases of branding that that you that you use for your limited releases and why you've gone with this particular look for the number twenty five red IPA. So this was a stepping stone from the old branding mm. to um, it, it was in an interim period before we'd settled on the designs for the new branding. Um, this, so last year, last winter, we released the number 24 double milk stout in a similar label. And we did these at the same time because this was meant to be released last spring. Um, but as Graham mentioned earlier, like about the brewery and Kaiju had a huge order um, to the UK or something and we just couldn't get the beer in. 
So we decided to hold off rather than release it um, out of season. We decided to hold off, but the labels had already been printed. Um, so it kind of just got chucked out there out of sequence. But yeah, this was um, an interim label. So it's got the old logo on it. It had the four bands on it, uh, which are replicated in the new branding and the core range, but in a very different way. Um, yeah, so it's, we, and this, I don't know if you'll notice, but these cans are actually double IPA cans that have been labeled as well because oh. we had oh I think I hadn't noticed dry stock yeah because we had loads of printed cans but then COVID so we weren't using as many so we labeled um, cans that we already had rather than binning them oh yeah that'd be great and it's it's nice to it's kind of nice to hear those those stories too where where you know it, it the branding isn't it's not always the perfect kind of the perfect kind of straight line story. It's often so many things that pop up and, and get in the way and dealing with those things. We call it the exit is. curse. Yeah. We call well, it the exit think... curse because no <laughs> timeline think... is ever stuck to regardless of yeah. how we, how hard we try, but with the business's size as well, like we just, you know, often it's about cash flow or it's about um, yeah, just timing in general. So you know, we don't release that many limiteds a year. We don't have the turnover to do so. We don't have the capacity to do so. So we kind of just have to roll with it. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, it's just beer too, right? Like we're just drinking it. The tin's going to go in the bin. Yeah. Like we shouldn't think about it too much. And I, therefore, I try not to stress about it too much. Oh, I like that philosophy. Oh, that's yeah, a, that's, that's a really an interesting good. take. Yeah, yeah, I really like that take because <laughs> she says she says it's not she my account. She says, and, and that kind of leads into my next question, which I'm gonna, I'm just gonna kind of vaguely touch on the question that that David put in front of me and and try to get something else out of it. So, like 2014, the craft beer scene wasn't as much about kind of intensive branding as it is you'd think now as it feels like it is now um so how has that balance gone from from what was in the can and completely focusing on what was in the can to now having to think more about what's on the outside of the can Warren, but back then it was the bottle as well uh, yes. yeah and back then i mean i have photos because I, I worked at Kaiju before Exit and I look back, you know, through our social media and about what we did at Exit and it was always bottles. Yeah. It's one I prepared come out. Yeah, there's, there's mm. what, that's number yep. 13 and now we're on number 27. So, Which is um, an interesting thing, Monica, because your bottles were really cool back then. Um, and still are. Know, like, and still little, are. Yeah. yeah did you, not, did mm. you guys move to Cairns because you felt like, you had to move to Cairns because because at the time everyone else was doing the same thing. What what was uh, that decision well, process? Yeah, we did. It was it definitely felt like um, we had to. Uh, it was and it was still reasonably early on as well. So we had the well, we still had the bottling line for uh, for uh, nearly. Oh yeah, the bottling line was decommissioned. What year is it now? Twenty twenty one. Yes, we <laughs> sold the bottling line in twenty. 18 i feel okay but i think um i think we we that we, we spoke to matt and um that they were um they, they got the idea of crush um and they wanted that in cans and 
Uh, there was a couple of golden ales that had just come out in cans. Um, and it was a very quick progression from if you looked in bottle shops to uh, yeah. bottle fridge. Mm. And then like every week you'd go in, there'd be another shelf of, of cans. And it was, yeah. uh, it was just a very quick uh, and aggressive progression. And we started getting kicked back on people didn't want bottles. And so, yeah, it was, it was fairly obvious from, from our side that um, cans were what people wanted. Um, so if we wanted to keep selling beer, we kind of had to go that way. Yeah, but I, mean, I think back reference before the the function we had at the bowls club, which I think it was you and Kaiju at the same time, there wouldn't have been a can in that lineup that we tasted that afternoon. In fact, there probably wouldn't have been uh, a can in the fridge that was day it, except for VB in Bru- Melbourne. Was it brew cold as well, David? Could have been. We certainly had brew cold out there, uh, but again, I, I reckon I reckon it was the three of us. Yeah, could, mm. could could have been. That's again probably a good reason why I don't remember it as you know crisply as <laughs> I might, but. Again, there wouldn't have been a bottle in their lineup. I don't think. Uh, sorry, a can in their lineup. A I don't can. think. Ever. No, Brew, Brew never got to make cans. They went out of uh, mm. business before cans became a thing. Oi. Um. So, uh, I suppose the next question, when it comes to branding and business, is with COVID. Uh, what 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 do you miss most about not having your own venue? I mean, the the bar was the bar had been around for a couple of years, like 20, 2017, I think you guys opened the bar. How yeah. where what's it like not having that having that as a part of the business? Um, for, for, it's not a big deal for me actually because I live in Frankston and the um, bar is in Richmond. I didn't actually spend a lot of time there. Um, it's just a not having bars at all, so not being able to sell kegs and mm. not being able to go out and just uh, the same as everyone life-wise, really. Um, so yeah, not being involved in the venue too much wasn't really a big factor. Morris um, trying to has kind of also changed um, direction in the last couple of years. I mean, COVID also has contributed to that, but it's less of a tap room for exit and more of just an independent. Um, well, a bar supporting independent brands. Um, so, you know, we there's definitely always three to four exit taps, but there's also four to five to six other breweries on tap as well. Um, and so, yeah, with Frey stepping away from the business as well, it's just become, it's not as exit centric as it was exit centric. I like that word. Yeah, um, absolutely. <laughs> Good word. <laughs> yeah, um, but it is, you know, it has been, obviously the last couple of years have been incredibly hard on the whole hospitality mm. business. And those guys have tried to pivot as much as possible and have tried to be agile, you know, but at the end of the day, I think at the moment they're opening maybe one afternoon a week to do growlers and to sell some tins, but it's just not viable to, at the, I mean, the way things, I mean, right now it's absolutely not at all, especially because they don't have a kitchen um, mm. and it's purely just um a bar but yeah it's uh, fingers crossed this doesn't last too much longer yeah we think so too yeah it has the ultimate beer garden so it needs to be enjoyed you need to Mm. be able to actually be there and yeah because there's plenty of bottle shops in richmond so they don't richmond doesn't bridge road doesn't need another another bottle shop it needs a good bar like outgang open yeah particularly in the kind of weather we're having in spring and a young man's thoughts turn to beer gardens you know it's it's very much that time of year. Yes. Go on. So I'm going to 
I think I might throw in the the traditional cool room question before we we have a short uh, intermission. So the traditional cool room question, and we'll we'll get we'll get a response from everyone because yeah, it's it's always fun to hear people's people's thoughts and ideas. Um, so what is the most confronting, strange, or amusing thing you have seen in a hospitality uh, setting? So or beer production setting, either one. Uh, and we're pretty loose. Like we'd prefer it to have been in a cool room. That's always nice. Um, but, but you know, outside of the cool room, uh, out the back where the bins are, anywhere really. Like just the most strangest thing you've come across. Grum. I'm thinking about it. I can't think of anything that's like really worth a good story about. Um I can't actually remember the last time I was in a hospitality venue. That's true too. Um, this, is a very, this is a very interesting take. We've been in lockdowns for so long now that people have actually forgotten what it's like to be in the brewery or in the cool room or in a hospitality venue. We might, have, do, to re- I, we might have to rethink this question, David. Well, I also do really worry about what was, some uh, people are going to bro- find in their cool rooms when they return to them, having had their <laughs> venues shut for a period of time. So I really hope that there was some conscientious, you know, cleaning of cool rooms when the, you know, the condensers were turned off rather than just you? the, oh, you know what, it'll be okay. We'll be back here in a week or two. Maybe that's, that's where the cool room stories actually come into their own upon return. Mm. Go, grow. was it? I was out of the brewery today and um, nothing, well, a lot of annoying things happened, but nothing really that interesting. So, uh, but yeah, I think, I think the cool rooms could be an issue that people have gone, oh, it'll be a week or two and it's just gone and gone and gone. So yeah, well, yeah most breweries are still operating, just not necessarily all the pubs. I've got to say that I chose not to run in a pub anymore because I didn't like the idea of trying to clean the lines after they hadn't been used for a year or so. So <laughs> there's some pretty horrific thoughts in in what might be sitting in some people's beer lines out there. There was a, there was an interesting story doing the rounds last year after the first lockdown of when the MCG closed down and everyone just left on the particular day and didn't clear out kitchens or fridges or bars and then came back, whatever it was, a month later and it was an absolute shit show of, yeah. And, and I noticed in the in the chat, Mark has said that he's heard Kuyong had to be gutted due to mould from one of the earlier lockdowns. Yeah. I presume yeah. he means Kuyong, the tennis venue, rather than the entire suburb of <laughs> Kuyong. And a shout out to you if you're listening from Kuyong tonight. But yeah. um, I wonder if it is the whole suburb. Do we have to gut the whole lot and start again? You know? Shall, shall we take a quick break here, guys? Um. Most people will have their Imperial Stout out of the fridge by now, hopefully. Um, We will take a quick break. Well, welcome back into the uh, tasting session we're having with Exit tonight. Uh, we've gone through a whole lot of fun conversations. You missed, if you're listening to the podcast, some of the little conversations we'll have had during the break. That's why we highly encourage you to be part of the online experience, not just the podcast experience. Uh, That way you can ask your own questions and you can hang around afterwards and just have a chat with us in the Zoom rooms. Um, 
we entered into a bit of a debate, which a smarter man than me wouldn't uh, bring up. But Grum, I was the one who chose the lineup and order of the beers tonight, and there was a bit of dissent in the camp uh, there. Um, if you were drinking these three beers, what order would you drink them in, just out of interest? And feel free to go the tonk on me for the order I've put them in. Um, if I were drinking them, personally, I would probably go the red IPA first. But if I were presenting it to someone, I would go the same order you went, David. Now, that's a far more complex answer than I'd expected, um, <laughs> and particularly because we have a whole lot of people who listen in who are pretty new to craft beer. Can you sort of explain why you'd take that different approach, you know, for yourself versus presenting it? And what should people who are new to beers sort of be thinking about? And how does how does beer order affect the way you experience the beers? Okay, yeah, I'd pro- I would drink the red IPA first because that is probably my favourite style of beer and it's what I would enjoy the most. Um, but if I was presenting to someone else, it comes down to palate fatigue. So... The red IPA being um, a heavier beer, like a higher ABV beer, having a lot more bitterness and a lot more hops. Um, people won't appreciate the milk stout uh, after having the red IPA. Whereas the other way around, I don't issue. The bitter from the red IPA will cut through the sweetness of the milk stout through your palate. That's, that's, I've got to say, that's kind of what was in my thinking, but it's really, it's nice to have that bit reinforced. And look, people who've a long time listened to the podcast know that in terms of red IPAs and black IPAs, they're you know, they're the styles that I love, mate. So you've uh, you'll always have a, a fan and a uh, a market with me. Um, we're moving on now to the number twenty seven, the Campfire uh, Stout. Um, can you give us a little talk through about this? If you were standing up at a pub tonight, just giving people a little bit of a a tasting experience, what would you say about this beer? Because this one's a bit out there, again, for people who are pretty new to craft beers, they may never have had a smoked beer before. That is true. Yeah, this one is big and out there. Uh, I guess we've last couple of years we've done the uh, double milk stout, which is quite a big uh, version of the uh, milk stout. Um, uh, I got a little bit of feedback uh, this year through... Uh, my rails, I mean Monica, um, saying, what about a beer without lactose? Because, uh, one, um, Lauren is a huge fan of dark beers and is lactose intolerant, so she's never forgiven me for making the milk stout um, the part of the core range rather than the smoke stout. We did as number seven in our original releases of beer when we were going through uh, the, the one-off phase where we were just going uh, one number, one beer, and we did that for 12 beers or so, so... Anyway, and over those 12 beers, we started to form a core range. Um, the, yes, or 10%, definitely, um, you know, pushing limits on things. Uh, and also uh, being smoky and it's a little bit of peachiness in it. Again, I think when in, um, when in the UK, played around quite a lot with the popular styles of beer over there, including um, a lot of stouts and also scotch ales. Uh, in doing that, played around with some smoked and peated malts. Um, and so you have a, have a series of beers that I've made that have that sort of profile. And then just for this year, I thought, well, being winter and doing a limited release, and thinking an, an imperial stout, um, went down the track of going, well, a little bit of smokiness, a little that touch of peat to give it that kind of nice bacon 
um, flavor profile that people pick up on often. Yeah. Um, and also just, yeah, when we're, when we're thinking about it, going, well, people can't go out camping, so maybe they can have a campfire stout in their, in their lounge room and at least get some appreciation for it. So. I actually really like that sort of take and philosophy on it because, yes, I miss campfires. I don't miss camping, but I miss campfires. There's a different, you know, slight, you know, I like being able to, you know, pack up and go home again at the end of the night. But this, I guess, can you explain to people how these flavours get into the malts again? You know, for people who've been around for a bit, they probably have a bit of an understanding. But uh, yeah, so basically, malt is um, basically barley. So uh, the way they process barley is you get it to the point of germination, um, where when the sugars are at their um, peak. Uh, and then once 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 they're at the peak, they're about to germinate. So um, they heat them to kill it, and say, so, "Right, don't germinate, but sugars are good." Uh, so my analogy I use this is usually toast. So if you get a white a bit of white bread, chuck it in the toaster, put it in for thirty seconds, it comes out still basically white, a bit warm, like warm on the outside. Uh, and so that's like your very basic pale kind of barley. Um, if you cook it a little bit longer, it sort of just gets a little bit darker, uh, longer again, um, and you sort of get that little bit of um, browning to it. Caramelization can be a little bit red if you do it right. Uh, and the mulch has got a lot of techniques in um, different temperatures, different time periods to achieve different things uh, to bring out melanoidins. To, but anyway, um, and then if you keep going, you get to that um, chocolatey kind of uh, dark chocolate, slightly burnt flavor, uh, and then keep going again, you get that really. Uh, astringent coffee um, effect so it's just yeah and then for a brewer it's basically taking a combination of those and putting them together and trying to get uh, the effect you want so uh, with the red IPA you want the caramel and the colour and uh, with the uh, imperial stout or campfire stout particularly you want uh, like a a lot of malt to get the alcohol volume up the body up um, and then yeah just the right balance of smokiness um, to bring out that uh, flavor profile that uh, people hopefully enjoy, people hopefully enjoy. First of all, I've got to say that that analogy and explanation is a great one. I'm going to nick that when I'm doing sessions for <laughs> uh, for for new craft beer drinkers. Um, nice. When you're dealing with, are you an experienced enough and confident enough brewer now? I'm you know I'm not being silly that you can now just know exactly what these malts are going to do when you add them to a beer, or do you do a little test batch first? Just to be uh, with, with this one, I did it straight up. Um, but again, as I said, I've done a lot of stouts and several Scotch ales and smoke stouts. Um, so the, uh, I've, ta- I've basically taken recipes I've done before, not particularly for this. Um, I've increased the malt bill to bring the alcohol up uh, and adjusted a little bit, added more hops, more bitterness for balance. Uh, but yeah, this was a, a, a first attempt at this recipe. Um, but yeah, if, if I wasn't I'm as confident on that style of beer, then I'll do a small test batch and see how it comes up and see if it adjusts. Um, and I guess the, the sort of last question about those sort of early bits is, you know, how do you think this beer changes as we drink it and as it warms up? Most of us have had this out of the fridge now for an hour or so. How, but how will it change in the glass? And uh, someone was asking me during the week how, how beers cellar, and I guess for something with 10%, it's probably got a bit more life uh, than, you know, like a four and a half, five percent beer would have. And you're talking about how, you know, uh, yeah, definitely. beers so come, and, I would come and go. Say, say, sorry? Oh, you were saying before how the peating beers can come and go. So I guess... Well, I yeah, saying, yeah. 
yeah. So yeah, definitely with with um, with this beer, it'll age well. I think this has got a solid four, probably five years in it. Um, the different flavour profiles will change over that time. It's it's actually really hard to um, to well to tell you what's going to happen with it because um, different beers just behave differently, and I don't think there's enough analysis of what's in it to to explain exactly why. Um, I think it's similar with wines and things like that. There's so many compounds and factors that change that um, you can't really definitively say in two years' time this will be this. Um, it's just you observe it. And I've, I've spoken to a few people who uh, basically they, they age beers. They've, they've been doing it for years. They present as experts on it. Um, and I've tried to have a conversation with them saying, well, so they age over time and oxygen and temperature are a factor of that. And so if you age it warmer, will it age better? faster in a similar way and people just don't know mm. um, hp is different hp will be um, the way you want it most people agree that heat like having hot and cold cycles is bad um but yeah it's just sort of you sort of if people who enjoy aging beers will often buy six of a beer and have one every year or one every six months and and just observe how it changes over time and yeah it's just a, it's a journey you can go on Damo's made a good point, Graham. Um, he said aging in tins is a bit of an unknown because we obviously haven't been canning age-worthy beers for that long. Um, and that does concern me a bit, just knowing about how the cans, there's a lining inside and it yep. does degrade over time. Hmm. Um, that, that, is, that is absolutely true. And they have been tested, I think, for a good couple of years. Yeah. Um, but it, it depends. Then that comes down to a lot more factors as well in um, the pH of the beers and going to start to factor in what, like the chemical makeup of the beer and how it reacts. So different beers will age differently. So yeah, absolutely right. Damo, stop making good points. <laughs> and from the lining, the lining of the cans, like if it's anything like like um, wine in terms of the plastics which are commonly used to seal them, those only have a certain life. So don't the linings of cans only have a certain lifespan as well? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So we've got yeah. you've got a couple of years that they they basically guarantee them for, um, but after that you're on your own. Um, mm. But yeah, look, that would also we... depend on probably like exposure to oxygen. So if it's an empty can versus a full can versus like like Grum just said, what the pH of the beer is, there'd be quite a few factors. It wouldn't just be a strict um, shelf life. But mm. having said all that, this beer in particular. We have labeled it as a best, um, given it a best before of three years, yeah. um, because we are confident that it is going to age well and change over time and still be enjoyable. Because um, I find at the moment in, in our market here, um, as engaged as everyone is, it's quite frustrating because, and I'm exactly that customer. As soon as I go to a bottle shop, I turn over a tin and I put it back if it's you know more than six months old. Um, Obviously, it depends on the type of beer, but we just wanted to give confidence to the people that were buying the beer that we that we believe in it, and that if you did buy two, put one away and drink one now. And well, I think that's yeah, an interesting um, addition to what was asked earlier about stats, stats aging, particularly um, for the the milk stat one trophy in AOBAs. Uh, and when we were submitting the beers, I actually submitted the older batch, which so was a rather than being two months old, it was eight months old, um, which I would never do on an IPA ever or a pale ale. But um, yeah, just taste it and go, well, yeah, this one's smooth a little bit, it's balanced better, 
Um, just yeah. So the, the, it was the eight-month-old beer that um, won a won a trophy, and then um, we literally got. We had I think we had a couple of kegs or something of it somewhere. Um, and someone tried to buy it and complained it was the old stock. I go, well, that's the one that won a trophy last week. So you can, you can serve that one or serve a beer that's not that one. It's up to you. Um, yeah, we, we had a crossover with the brewing where we had new, fresh milk stout ready to go. And that's why we were able to say, do we send the fresh or the older one? So we had both sitting there. And it was a disaster trying to sell the older one, which had won. That was a disaster trying to sell that after the trophy because no one would believe that it was the older yep. one that won. Mm. Um, Max in the Zoom room just asked an interesting question, um, which I feel like now's a good time to ask it. How long was this matured in before the canning process? Sorry, before the canning process? Yeah, so not, it's, it hasn't been matured at all. It there goes go. straight from brewing no. to the bright tank to canning. Yeah. So straight. Uh, it's, it's, it was probably a 22, 23 day turnaround from brewing, fermenting, uh, bright tank and canning so yeah call, call it three weeks three weeks there you go but having yeah. said that we did hold some back and we've put it into brandy barrels that's um, a secret monica monica oh, secret. we've got our scoop david we've <laughs> yeah, got we've our got scoop. Our, it's always about eight o'clock that the scoop starts to come <laughs> don't ask me what we brewed this week or with who because i won't tell you it's okay. Oh. We'll, we'll let you sip a little bit more. We'll ask. We'll come back to that question in a moment. That's okay. Can you mute her? <laughs> How much of it did you keep? Six hundred liters. Yeah, right. Nice. Yeah, we so just had we two, got breaks, two, two, yeah, two brandy breaks. Um, so yeah, we'll see how that goes. Um, because I wanted to ask a question. It was it was funny. I was going to ask this question, and in some ways, you guys just started to explore it together, but. I'm really fascinated by the labelling when we start to talk about the ageing of beers. You've said that you've given it a three-year, um, you know, use by date or best before date, I should say, on the bottom of the can. But there's nothing on the on the can itself in the artwork that says, buy this beer and age it, which is not something we see on many beers. But how do you think people would respond to that? That's probably yeah, a question David, more that's for you, Monica and Loz. You know. uh, yeah, it's really interesting you just brought that up because as we were having this discussion now, we were talking about aging stouts, and I was thinking, you know, on a wine, when you pick it up, it often says, enjoy in three to five years or seller for, and I just had that exact thought thinking on our stouts or if we did, you know, double milk stout or the imperial stouts or even, you know, the milk stout. Um, it, yeah, it might be an interesting point of difference to, to mention a cellaring ability on it because, um, yeah, because we do like to educate our customers as well. Um, I think that's a duty of ours being that, that we're making the beer to be enjoyed in a certain way and we enjoy it in a certain way. So yeah, we should probably be educating people a bit more. What do you reckon, Graham? Um, maybe. Uh, I think it's hard to try and put it. It's, it's hard to put everything on a label and it not just get lost. So that's like you very can't true put as well. A, a whole a whole tasting course on a label. Well, that's why we've dumbed it down um, and we just have four tasting notes on yeah, everything. I but I think yeah, it, on the imperial, for example, it definitely. I think it'd be interesting if I picked up a stout and it said, you know, enjoy in three to five years or has cellaring well, potential for five years. Yeah. Again, as as yeah, it is hard to say that definitively with with the unknowns about cans. Mm -hmm. um, as they 
Damo mentioned, uh, I think I, I think I did say oxygen, but um, Damo did bring up another good point, and I told him not to. But anyway, um, <laughs> <that's>, <laughs> uh, luckily he's, for he's us, terrible yeah. like that. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. The, the canning lines does it makes a massive difference to the O2 pickup. So having a, um, a counter pressure filled Cody has been great. Um, there might be a secret, um, another secret that there is a Crohn's being installed. At the brewery now. So, oh, no, how um, we haven't heard that. Yeah. It's eight o'clock, it's the magic hour. It's a scoop, scoop hour. Mm-hmm. So, that the DO on that is um, yeah, second to none. So, can, can you, for those who, again who are slightly new, this is a bit beer nerdy, but what does that mean? And, and what does that really, how's that going to change how the beer gets packaged and how people receive it? Uh, well, it, should, no, it won't affect people at all, really. It just means if you've got less DO, the, uh, the beers will um, yeah, age better, effectively, or, or not age as much. So ageing is uh, – a big factor in ageing is oxygen. Oxygen and temperature tend to be the things that age a beer. So if you reduce the um, oxygen to minimal amounts, um, then the, the beer stays more shelf-stable. Look, I've, I've loved that chat. I'm looking forward to getting on to the audience questions. Max, I think you sort of typed this question during our little break, but it's about one of my favourite beers that's ever come out of Exit. And so if you're ready to unmute yourself, um, please ask your question, mate. Thanks, David. Um, yeah, your Saison is such an amazing beer. I think for me personally, it was a real game changer. Like it really changed my... I laugh about beer. Like it was really one of the beers that really sort of got me into beer in a really big way. So thank you. It's like, yeah, it's like life pre-exit saison and life post-exit saison are pretty, um, pretty distinct for me personally. Um, I'm just wondering what you sort of, you know, that, that's a couple of years old now, where you sort of see saisons in Australia at the moment, um, given that you kind of brewed that before they were, you know, necessarily very popular or you could find many of them. And if you ever thought about kind of going more into the kind of saison farmhouse space or if that's something you're still interested in uh hey max uh thanks for the question uh love the fact that um the saison was a gateway beer for you um monica am i allowed to spill a secret or what <laughs> well yeah i mean so okay. well okay so first off so saison we all love it. And Max, your comments are so kind. The problem is, so that was the first beer that Exit ever released commercially. It was number one was a Saison. I mean, that's how ahead of the time Scrum was. Um, it has taken a long time for that to really catch on. And still to this day, it's not one of those huge um, volume movers. So we love it, but we have relegated it to a limited release in the core range. Um, cause again, we know stays on ages as well, but it's not a widely known fact. And so that's also a hard sell. Having said all that, um, this week, Graham, well, yesterday just did a collaboration with, um, I guess I can say Killer Sprocket. Um, so they wanted to make a stays on for a long time. Sean's a good friend of the business, good friend of the brewery. Um, Sean and Graham used to brew together back in 2014 at Cavalier, so yeah, Sean loves our saisons as we all do. So they've made um, a fun, should I say what it is? I guess. No, uh, leave, no. leave something up in here, Mom. No, I think 
That, that was more than I was going to give away. So yeah. I don't know what I asked you. <laughs> yeah, not <nah>, cut. <laughs> yeah. I'm anyway, writing yeah. notes there, about all the scoops to include them in the show notes. There is a phase so. on being, that's um, in tank right now. It just, it's it's not our typical season that we've released. It's a, it's a little bit of a different take. But, you know, yeah. if there's more interest in it, like we're definitely going to look at doing um, more limited releases. We have talked about this year. So we've done the collaboration with Sean. We talked about if we did another one of our own. But again, it would be a different iteration. We're just not sure if there's just enough room in the exit. You know, Laws has a lot of beer to sell. Um, it puts a lot of pressure on her when we give her all these different ones. Yeah. Um, and I, I think I, we have had issues, by, especially last time. Last time we made sales in a couple of years ago, it was still not a huge seller. Mm-hmm. Um, and as the brewery has grown, batch size has grown. So I was about to ask that much- exact question of Laws, to be honest. Can I, can I sort of ask? From your perspective, Loz, you know, how is it, I presume back in the day, smaller amounts of beers coming out, turnover is a bit easy to be quicker in that sense. Do you now get like told, oh, this is how much beer is coming out and, you know, you've got to sell it <laughs> in the next six weeks and how does that feel? Get moving. Uh, being such a small business, we all have a lot of say and Graham's really awesome like that. He lets us all have our opinions. Um he listens, which is great. Um, something like a saison, it's like everyone's just said, it's not everybody's there yet, right? It's, it's, um, yeah, 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 it is. It really is. It's not something that someone's going to go and buy 10 cartons of and put in their bottle shop, are they? So, oops. And grub, you, you drove under a bridge for a moment there, mate. Yeah. But you know, when when we're when the, we have a fifty heck brew house, you know, it's it, you have to find a lot of spots for that. So, yeah. Yeah, making think- the decision to move it to a seasonal and take it out of our core range was a great decision. It really cannot be in a core range, unfortunately. Well, yeah. In, well, unless it's a small batch kind of thing, and I think that's yeah that that has been a bit of an issue. Um, and I think there's been quite a few not great saisons, um, which people try something once and go, no, I don't like it, and then not try anymore. Um, and so that's uh, the collaboration with Sean came around because he said he doesn't like saisons. And actually, Nat from Chrysler also said, I don't like saisons. But then they go, but we like yours. It's like, well, maybe you just didn't have a good one. And saison is quite a, a wide... Um, flavor profile from the there's french and belgian style saison so it's a little a little bit like ipas like you know well, i don't like ipas i've had one and the flavor range of an ipa is like oh a little bit it can be quite malty it can be balanced it can be hoppy. So, yeah it's really hard to say with one but people like because saison is not a popular style people don't feel like they have one and they go no nah, i don't like that style and they'll leave it so Damo was keeping up his uh, fine work of making very sensible comments in the room. Uh, he's almost asked a question from a different perspective. I mean, I reckon if I'd been asked as a barman and publican to sell saisons at the start, I wouldn't have known how to do it. So how important do you think it is to actually explain to bar staff um, how to serve this beer and how to explain people, how to explain to customers? And how to pronounce it, David. And how to pronounce it. That's the biggest struggle. At festivals, we everyone comes up and says, can I try your session? 
you know, like it's it's just not widely enough. That's that, that, why even on our next release, we are going to call it a farmhouse ale, just a saison, but also a farmhouse ale, just to mm. kind of break that barrier a bit too. So maybe don't brew with Quebec yeast would be my advice then, because we've never yeah. got yet, never got agreement about that one. But you know, I mean, and and I guess from you, from a marketing and you know sales perspective. Do you think it's important to go out and explain those sort of things? Because you think about no, the average busy craft brew pub. I mean, think about Beer Deluxe on a Friday night. Absolutely. Yeah. So two years ago, we did host a Saison event at Outgang for that very reason. I really wanted to start down the path of educating better. So we did, um, I can't remember how many we had on the day, maybe five different Saisons. So we invited Boat Rocker along. Um, uh did we have anybody else on the panel that day Grum? yeah anyway Last i think i had originally i had invited last three and i can't remember was. if they were there or just yeah, the beers. but that was something i really wanted to start doing more of was um getting multiple breweries along that all make a similar style having a nice chat about them and we tried to do it in a way we did it in the beer garden with food because saison is definitely a beer to have with food um and in the sun um but then, yeah, I wanted to do more of that with the trade as well, just getting the bartenders along, uh, having a taste, having a chat. But we've been living through what we've been living through for the last 18 months. So it's kind of been a bit inhibitive, you know. But anyway, yeah, it's definitely part of it is is educating the people that are serving the beer so that they can recommend it. Um, little sort of segue from one core range beer to you know potentially another crofty are you in there in the room i can't see you on my screen but if you're there can you unmute and um ask other oh, you are mate can you ask your question yeah please? uh grum you said earlier or you mentioned earlier that red red ipas are one of your favorite styles of beer um can we expect to potentially see a red ipa without a number attached to it anytime in the foreseeable future yeah, good one, Crofty. Um, like, as I said earlier, I mentioned uh, briefly that amber is basically a red IPA. Um, and the, yeah, it's the, um, the, the style is absolutely my favourite. So, yeah, it, it, the issue with being called an amber, I think, is, again, similar to Saison. It's a branding issue rather than a beer issue. Um, so, yes, we are looking at doing um, something based on the amber back into the core range. Um, it might be slightly tweaked, um, but yeah, I think uh, if, if you like your ambers, you'll, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a money back guarantee on this one. Absolutely. Thanks, man. Cheers, Crofty. Um, there's a couple of great questions in the chat that I'm happy to either ask myself in a moment um, or get people to unmute. So again, Please come and join us live on the Zoom. That's part of the uh, the best way to be super involved in these and uh, these nights, and you get the opportunity to talk directly with the brewers. But I think Mugs, you had another question which we had lined up in the Q and A. So if you can unmute and ask your question, please, brother. Um, thanks, Dave. Um, oh, well, my question was more. You guys are obviously um, based with um, Kaiju out at a sort of garden on sort of area was was there ever any sort of plan to maybe have a bar sort of at the east eastern suburbs down and on way 
you know, that, that sort of showcases what you guys and, and the likes of Kaiju and, and other, other sort of breweries actually bring to the table? Um, we had thought about it. It had been discussed. Uh, the unfortunate part about Dandenong was uh, when we were looking at it, the, the craft beer uptake was quite low. Um, so yeah, it didn't really make a lot of sense. Probably now it's getting, and I think as is everywhere, like um, at, at, at where I'm in Frankston, um, two years ago there was virtually nothing and now there's uh, a, quite a good craft beer bar and a couple of small breweries and well, and if you go, if you stretch all the way to Seaford, you've got, you've got the likes of Mr. Banks and things. So um, yeah, definitely improving. Um, if we did a another bar, we probably would do it out southeast somewhere, but probably pushed a bit past Dandenong rather than yeah. Dandenong. Actually, my, my other question was um, the shops. Sh Are you ever going to bring that back? Uh I haven't, yeah, I haven't chatted to Matt about that for ages, actually. Um, so for those who don't know, the Scotch was a collaboration that we did with Kaiju, which is uh, our Scotch Ale, that uh, we let Matt go a bit nuts on his hopping. Um, and that was, yeah, that was the, when I was talking about the pizza mold earlier, the fact that when it first came out, um, so like, dirty. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, 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 drank, I drank some and I just laughed at that and said, ha ha, your hops did nothing, my peak wins. And then probably about a week or two later, then the hops really started to shine through. It's like, oh, wow, it is a hoppy scotch ale, that's great. And then yeah, by you know, four, five, six months, whatever it was, uh, the hops died off again and the peak took over again. So, yeah, um, oh, that, that, that was such a cool, cool idea. I loved it. I think the issue was, I think we did it twice and the second batch just didn't sell. Um, so I think we got, we, yeah, we got a bit burnt on it. So what was a great idea and a few people loved, not a lot of people bought. So I don't know. Again, maybe ahead of our time. We could try it again now. So yeah, we well, I was going to say that, that was probably, I don't know how long ago that was. But you definitely had fans back in the day. I'm going to mute you, Muggs, not to be rude, but you are, no, no. I always love your things. And uh, Jay, you had a great question there. I'm not sure whether you're going to unmute and ask it, but... Um... Yeah, I've unmuted. Thanks, David. Wonderful. Let's ask you a question. Um, g'day, exit guys. Grum, how are you going? Um, I've just got a question regarding your um, your milk stout. Are you, have you ever thought of adding adjuncts to it? I mean, it's perfection as it is, but ever thought of adding peanut butter or something like that? Oh, peanut butter. Uh, look. Because oh, I've experimented yeah, with Yeah, we actually have. We've done What's a your... coffee version of it. Yep. Yeah, nice. Yep. No, yeah, we, yeah, we have played around with it. Um, we, we, definitely, we did a coffee, a small release coffee version of it. Uh, definitely vanilla would be probably a priority flavour. If, if I were doing it myself, I would go with that. Yep. Um, just got to be careful on over, overly sweetening it. Um, I find oh, peanut butter, the idea is okay, uh, but I really hate artificial peanut butter flavor. Like, I can't yeah, eat okay. Reese's Pieces. So, um, yeah. there's a lot of peanut butter beer pe that people love that I just go, nah, I can't. <laughs> Fair enough. I can't do that. So, I can't make a beer that I can't drink because it's against my creed, I guess. Um, <laughs> no worries. So, but yeah, look, yeah, there's, uh, and yeah, as, as I said earlier about the, uh, the Imperial Limited Waste Stout this year being the, the campfire. Smoke one, that was mate, really mate, 
I, that was awesome. That was good too. Thank you very much. Uh, maybe next year might be a, a double mix out with a twist or something. I haven't thought of yet. But I'll think about it. <laughs> so. <laughs> Thanks. Sorry, Jay, I cut you off there. I, I didn't mean to mute you at quite that point, but my finger got clicky, so my apologies. Uh, great question, and I've got to say that the question you asked in the chat itself was, have you thought about adjuncts or, you know, do you think you can't improve on perfection? And I think that was a, a pretty good way of phrasing the question because... Well, also, technically, uh, like this is an adjunct, so we, we, we've got one in there, so... It's exactly the kind of beer industry that I love, brother, but I completely <laughs> agree with you about some of the peanut and nut and mint flavour additions to things over the years. Um, I've got to say that I struggle on a bit of them. I'm going to ask one question on behalf of my good friend, Custard, uh, and then throw over to Travis to, to wrap things up. But um, Custard quite sensibly asks, what beer would you drink after this? And I, I really do... Think that's a sensible question to ask because we're going to sit around and, and have a couple more in the Zoom room. Would you try personally, or if you're presenting beers, um, to stay at this kind of big mouth feel, big ABV, or do you think there's a time and a place just to sort of reset robot and go right back to the beginning? Oh, there's a there's a throwback to um... yeah. You said you saw what I did there. <laughs> yeah, so brew cult. Um, might be but, a joke that you uh, only you and I only get, but yep. Yeah, they, we, could just, uh, we could have our own little room here. Um, but if, if, ideally, if I had the choice, I would have a nice uh, tulip of Cantillon about now. Oh, so, good call. A nice uh, lower alcohol, uh, really acidic, will cut through the, the smoky uh, thickness of the stout um, and you know, gives, it, gives your palate a little bit of a reset. So, yep. Uh, anyone, anyone who's got candy on, feel free to enjoy it. <laughs> oh, that's uh, that that was perfect. Um, thank you very much for, to you, Exit guys. So, Crum, Monica, and Loz, you guys have been awesome tonight. Before we wrap things up, I'm going to hand over to Monica because I feel like she's the person that we need to talk about social media with. Can you throw us your social media? Absolutely. Yes. There were at exit brewing on Instagram and Facebook. Um, please tag us, take photos tonight of the beers, tag us, um, like us, please. And then I don't know if this is a clap moment or not. Um, but I've got, I was going to do a, um, promo code. If you guys did want to buy more beers direct through the website, um, so I've set that up. It's called, Laws, do you remember what it is? I think it's Cool Room 20. Maybe. Maybe maybe Travis. Yeah, and 20 David. or 2021? 20, no, it was 20 because of the percentage. I think it was Cool Room 20. I'll double check and I'll throw it in the chat. Or 27 um, or, because of the number 27 or 25. There's <laughs> a lot of 20s in your organisation. Yeah, everyone's going to be We're all confused. in our 20s age-wise, all of us. I, I, I feel like obviously. I feel like this could be a, a clap moment for my edit. But what we will do is, in relation to this promo code, we will put it out in the show notes for the episode Great. when we upload the podcast, and then everyone will be able to see it. And uh, we'll put a little note at the end of this episode, uh, letting people know what that promo code actually is, and that'll give you a little bit of time to get back to us on exactly what the code is. Awesome. That would um, be excellent. 
And otherwise, go to your local and support all the indie brewers and buy as much beer as you can for your picnics this weekend. Perfectly put. And you uh, almost took the words out of my mouth. I was about to say that uh, we need to get out and about, obviously, and buy those takeaway beers and take them down to a park for those fully vaccinated people in Melbourne. Um, Our international listeners are probably wondering what's going on in relation to our lockdown because they're out of lockdowns. Um, We will explain that at a later point. Um, Make sure you check out the Cool Room social medias as well. You can find us at Cool Room Podcast. Uh, We have a heap of events coming up, which... David didn't really get through at the beginning of the episode, but I'm going to try to get through now um, just to make sure everyone's aware. Next week on the 23rd of September, we've got Bright Brewery on. Then we've got on the 30th of September, Westside Owl Works on. Um, those two are available in the September pack, which uh, hopefully David gives me a nod and there's still packs available. Uh, so you can log on to the Shopify store and buy those packs sometime over the next few days we have our grand final day extravaganza coming up on the 25th of september um we all know which team's going to win the game um but you can join us in the core room from 2 p.m for a bit of a meet the brewer with co-conspirators and there'll be a few uh little fun things that happen along that day as well uh, before the game starts. Um, I say before the game starts, because once the game starts, I will no longer be able to sit around and record a podcast. (laughs) I will be fixated to my TV to watch my team win the grand final. We also have coming into October mask landing from the U S coming on, which is absolutely amazing. The beers look Um, fantastic. Yeah. This it's going to be really, really cool. Uh, Along with wine, Stefan for our, uh, I think what's becoming our regular Oktoberfest Zoom Room podcast. So uh, for the second year running, we'll have uh, Wine Stefan on in October as well. And uh, Trivia is also back uh, at some point in October. I don't have the date available to me, but make sure you check out the Cool Room Facebook page and uh, you can find out all those details there. Guys, thank you very much for joining us tonight. Hopefully you'll stick around and uh, enjoy a drink with us all as the night progresses. Uh, It's been a wonderful evening. And we'll see you all soon.